Fam, best friends, and ghoulish knights, and welcome to the 18th episode of Murders with Mertens. I am your host, Joe, and this is a podcast about horror. Monster movies, cosmic horror, body horror, the horror, adjacent thrillers, the psychologically terrifying, scary films in general. Each episode, I sit down with a guest and discuss one of their favorite scary films so we can gush about everything that makes it just so damned cool. Viewers, thank you for the support. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe if you are so inclined. It all helps to get the word out and bring some much-needed love to this fledgling podcast. I have a minor goal of reaching 100 subs so I can get that custom URL for the channel. Just a little bit over halfway there. So help, please, you know, if if you, you know, care or whatever. It's cool. Uh, today, I have the pleasure of welcoming back for his second appearance, Mr. Philip J. Woodward. Bill, Hello, how the hell everybody. are you? I'm doing very well. Uh, just finished mowing my lawn. Uh, we established that it's not very hot outside, no. uh, but it was still a lot of work. So <laughs> it, it might be hot for you, and that's okay. Oh. I get that. Um, you know, it's like when there's a snowstorm uh, that sprinkles just a little bit of snow and ice around Atlanta, and everybody has gridlock uh, oh, for man. you know several days. Yeah, I understand. If you're not used to it, it sucks. That's that's like rain in L.A., you know? Mm-hmm. Up here, we're used to it. You go down to L.A. and rain's like, oh, better take a sick day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Could you imagine? Could you imagine rain hindering your day that much? Oh, my God. Not here in southeast Michigan, that's for sure. We have such wild <laughs> swings of weather. We're just used to misery, I guess. I... Um, I technically live in a classification of a rainforest, um, even though in the last few years it's been um, it's been a little drier. Uh, obviously, there's been a lot of fires around us. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, we've never been hit. Uh, but yeah, it's literally because we live in uh, like what's classified as a redwood rainforest, which is kind of cool. Um, if you don't know the area that I live in, it's where like Jurassic Park was filmed. It's where. Uh, Star Wars was filmed. It was where um, literally Salem's Lot and part of, um, oh my God, what's the movie? Uh, the um, oh man, I'm really blanking right now, and this is this is horrible for me. Uh, it's the one with the 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 monkeys, the outbreak. Is it? Oh, uh, Planet of the Apes. The no, uh... no, uh, no, not not that one. Although that was filmed close to here too. Um, no, it's the older one with um uh is it Hoffman? Um I literally oh, outbreak? think it might be Outbreak. Yeah, I I said Outbreak <laughs> earlier and in it and I'm like is that the movie? But yes, I don't know why I couldn't think of that. But yes, Outbreak uh was part of that was filmed here. Uh part of Halloween 3 was filmed here, uh which right. you did an episode on not too long ago. I thought about sending you pictures of uh some of the locations from that film. Yeah, um, shockingly, about six months ago, if you can believe that. Um, God, has it been that long already? Oh yeah, I can't believe it. But <laughs> this, we've been rolling on. It's been fun. Um, I, I've but had anyway. the good fortune of knowing a lot of cool folks, and uh, yeah. But yeah, you live in a very cool area. Um, so yeah, it must be uh, near Muir Woods and all that. Um, nice, very nice. Yeah, it's pretty fun. Pretty cool. I always like to throw that out there on, on movie podcasts because, you know, people might want to kill me after this episode and I make it easy to find me. So, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll do our best not to dox you too much here. Um, 
I think we should jump into it here. Tonight's topic is 2005's The Descent, written and directed by Neil Marshall. Uh, 2005 feels uh, kind of far away now, but I swear to oh God, it God. feels like yesterday. 100%. 100%. You know what, though, is that era of movies for me, like, that is my childhood. Like, that's right around that 2001 to, to 2007 was like my... Uh, high school college days so um very much like right in my my key childhood horror the the millennial era <laughs> of, of horror yeah as uh, a super young gen xer um that's like the aughts are where i got into horror to a, a larger degree you know, there was the 80s and the 90s, but it was that period where we got all the like after dark horror fest and, um, you know, like eight films to die for and all that kind of yes. stuff. And uh, yeah, having the uh, the blockbuster version of the Netflix, um, you know, mailers uh, where they would send you the DVDs. Oh, my God. Um, yep. Yeah, they, um, they just had their what, what was it? Their 20th anniversary or something like that like netflix was celebrating and i'm like wait has it been i know they've been around that long (laughs) i know i know and well that kind of thing definitely helped to fuel the growing addiction and that's definitely how i got around to seeing this film um i'm sure that i saw you know like a trailer or something uh online because i mean that's what you did in undergrad and uh, you know in your 20s you just basically sit and watch trailers instead of actually watching something right (laughs) uh what's what's your history with the film uh so i saw it in theaters um and it was actually my first film that i saw uh from neil um and it's what you know eventually led me to see uh dog soldiers and uh unfortunately some subsequent movies that were not as good um, yeah, yeah, we don't have to not... talk about those <laughs> that's okay that's okay but yeah but, probably uh, stuff like doomsday and yes um, doomsday which yeah. i mean is still fun but it's uh definitely a far cry away from this film which i think after re-watching it again man it might be one of the pinnacle 2000s horror films mm-hmm. i it everything in that movie for the most part still holds up really well there's yeah. some practical effects, I think, that would have been done better today um, or with a better technical, yeah. you know, Maybe with artist. a little more money. Yeah. Um, and, and stuff like that. But for the most part, it's really hard to pick this film apart. Yeah. Uh, oh, in a, in a negative yeah. way, I mean. Yeah, this film absolutely rips. Um, it, One of it the gets best going. cold opens, I think. Oh, yeah. In in cinema history um with the uh the rapids you know you have the opening credits and then the rapids and everyone's just having a good time and you're like okay this is really interesting like how is this gonna roll into what we're what we're going and into bang yeah yeah and it's yeah, not I... even something that you would expect you know um yeah, yeah. All, was it the all expendables the... oh go ahead no, I, I was going to say uh, Final Destination 2, but uh, we're, we're going to talk about that in just a moment. I think we should just jump in here. Yeah. Uh, we, we we get the red Lionsgate logo, which, you know, is yep. always there to tell us we're in for a bloody good time, right? It's uh, at least in this era, all the fun horror films that they put out would always get the, the treatment there. Um, 
and like you said, we get the white water rafting, which looks fun but terrifying. Um, <laughs> I, I, that helmet's wearing you if you hit a rock. Um, right. You know, but uh, yeah, um, you get these uh, three ladies uh, out having a good time, and they get you know they see uh, a guy and a little girl on a rock who are waving to him, calling to him, and all that stuff. They're getting to the end of their journey. Clearly, uh, I love how the water gets super calm super quickly. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's I don't know how that works out, but you know it's uh, editing. You know, that's how. <laughs> yes, yeah, that that's exactly it. We'll suspend just a little bit of disbelief there. Uh, so they they come ashore and you know they they knock the one lady and uh, we've got uh, what is it Sarah Beth and Juno uh, and, and Juno kind of fucking around a little bit gets knocked in the water and uh, we get um, uh, Sarah's husband Paul and their young girl. Um, I think it's jessica um but uh I, yeah, yeah i don't remember what what the little girl's name is. yeah but uh paul helps uh pull juno out of the water there and they have this clear moment uh and you see beth looking at them understanding that there's something there um and paul just very abruptly says to his wife yeah hey it's fucking cold let's get out of here um and they take off. He's very standoffish. It's, you know, clear there's something not working there and something that apparently is. It's very interesting because when you first get introduced to him, he looks super happy. Mm -hmm. um, he looks he looks like he is, you know, just ready and raring to go for the ladies doing their rafting. And it doesn't occur to me until, you know, like this time, I, I'm sure... I, previous watch but this time watching it uh i really noticed how happy he was and it hit me when he was like you said just suddenly all stern oh crap he wasn't happy for her and nope. he was happy for someone else on that raft mm -hmm. um and yeah very very apparent in the beginning of the film which you know when you first watch it you're like wait what's going on what's the the dis this discontent here yeah yeah uh so then in the car uh heading down the road there um mom sarah she's talking to her daughter about what she wants to do for her birthday party and all that and paul again super standoffish and they start to you know talk just a little bit and he's distracted and drifts into the oncoming lane and hits this vehicle carrying a bunch of copper pipe that uh you know slams right through the windshield and through a couple of bodies. And this is why I brought up final destination too, because I had to double yes. check which came first. And unfortunately it was final destination too. Yeah. They pumped uh, those movies out. Cause it was what? 2001 for final destination. And then yeah, like 2003 and then, for, yep. for final destination too. Yeah. They were just cranking those puppies out and that's everybody has the, the fear of, driving behind a logging truck because of that movie because i right. mean yeah it's an iconic scene and everything and yeah I, the, I just the big difference between something like final destination though and this movie is the fact that there is no precursor you've seen final destination you know something is going to go wrong you just don't know what it is necessarily and they telegraph it you know in in uh final destination in this there's no real telegraphing until the moment happens uh oh, i was yeah. bringing up the expendables earlier because you know they they bring on um 
Liam Hemsworth, right? Or whatever. I think it's the Expendables where he's he's like the young recruit in that movie. And then he ends up dying uh, very early. Right. In the Expendables, though. I, I think but, it may be. But yeah, um, so like, it's been a while on, since on a I've mission. seen those. Yeah, they're on a mission. And, and in this movie, it's it's Liam Hemsworth. And, and they like, he's like talking. He's talking about his like, you know, girlfriend back home or whatever. And you're like, oh, man, oh. this dude's going to die. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a kiss of death. That's like a cop in a bar talking about what he's going to do after he retires. Um, right. Yeah. And then, of course, the next call they go on, he ends up dying. Right. Hundred yeah. uh, percent, and there's yeah. none of that here. There's none of that yeah. for the opening. I mean, of this movie. You like, see the 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 swerve of the car into the oncoming lane, and the other car not stopping or moving it. But you almost think to yourself, he's gonna look over and then you know yep. make a yeah, course oh, correction, classic, right? Classic, mm-hmm. you know, like oh god, oh swerve, and then we hear the the rush of traffic, and then you know she's like, what the Paul, you know, mm-hmm. um, and then and then you know whatever the next part of the movie is is gonna happen. No. Mm-mm. No, nope. They did. <laughs> Bloody um, pole. Bloody pole. Yeah. Yep. Beautiful effect too, because oh yeah. Rather rather than show you know exactly what happens to poor Paul, um, you, you know it just shows the pole coming through the back seat with the gore, and I think that's so great. Um, and then they don't show the little girl at all, uh, which yeah. I thought was was really really cool too. Because why? Why show that? And it yeah. sets up oh, the yeah. next sequence, which is also really cool. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the dream that she has of uh, her daughter with her birthday cake blowing out the candles. And then it's kind of intercut with her waking up finally in the hospital. Um, she had, you know has her little freak out moment where she pulls everything off of her and she uh, heads out into the hallway and there is just nobody around. Right. And then it becomes very clear. Oh, it's still a dream, which is one of my favorite horror tropes. The, you know, dream within a dream within a dream type thing. What I liked um, about this one, though, was the fact that she was like actually up and about like she was practically. Yeah. Yeah. Because kind of uh, a different take. Yeah. The lights start, you know, shutting down in a, a, again, another fun horror trope that you see from yeah. time to time. Uh, and the the darkness is essentially chasing her, and as she's running away, it overtakes her, but that's when she, very much awake, slams into Beth uh, coming to get her in the hospital, and they you know have their breakdown moment, and Juno's behind them crying her eyes out as well. Uh, For a I, completely I different it, reason. Yeah, yeah, I think so. <laughs> um, and I find it very interesting that here they are in the middle of a very crowded hallway and nobody's like, you know, stopping, looking at them, talking. People are just completely ignoring them. Um, it's weird, but also, you know, good, effective, open, because um, we, uh, we we moved to the title card from here, um, I, which is... I, I have a quick question. Do you know if there's yeah. any significance behind the birthday? Like why they chose the blowing out of the candles? Do you think it's just because it's an emotional moment for I, for her? That that I think you're right with that. Um that, I've, I've that, always wondered if if there was a bigger reason or if there was something that was cut from the movie that, you know, like you know, that it was supposed to be something about her birthday, but I think it's more of a, you know, the just an easy way to tug at heartstrings, you know, yeah. um, and to, you know, just a cool visual, too, because it's oh, complete absolutely. darkness with only the candlelight. Yep. Um, 
And I, I like the title card in that you don't see the full title. It's just like the light playing across it. Across it, yep. Yeah, yeah. And we cut to Appalachia uh, one year later. Um, Beautiful cinematography here. Oh, yeah. Yeah, This um, there's, there's some really cool shots in this film when they're not, you know, when they're exterior shots. Yeah, um, I, I think what's really interesting is, you know, today you would do something like that with a drone, right? Yeah. Um, like in in older movies, especially city shots, you would get stuff like that from stock footage or mm -hmm. a very expensive flight. Yeah. Um, I imagine that this movie probably did stock flyover footage, but I don't know. It's very cinematic, whoever shot it. Mm -hmm. I'd love to know if it was stock footage or if they spent money to actually shoot that. I don't know. It's, you know, I suppose with color correction and everything, you can achieve the consistency, but it, it all looks like really consistent with everything really else yeah. that's on 100%. the ground. Right. Yeah. Um, it's, it's got a very defined look. Um, and we get Beth and Sarah, uh, driving along, uh, there, it, you, you finally get a sense of where, they are, you know, at least what state they are, because this is a large mountain range here in, you know, the U.S. Um, but they're in North Carolina. You finally get that from the license plates. Um, but they you know, don't really give you a good sense of where exactly. And that's OK. That doesn't really matter in this film. Um, I think it is kind of cool, though, because you have people from, you know, many different places coming together for this movie. Mm hmm. Yep, absolutely. Um, and they're kind of reuniting and also in some ways uh, celebrating Sarah's return from, right. you know, the dark place that she's been. Um, and they're getting together for a weekend of spelunking. Uh, yeah, because that's what they do. These are <laughs> they're all thrill seekers. Um Sarah and Beth make their way to the cabin. Juno meets them and we're introduced to the rest of the crew. We've got Sam, Rebecca and Holly. Uh, she's the, the new girl, uh, sort of a protege of Juno's. Fucking Holly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're going to talk about Holly eventually. That's for sure. Cause wow, she's obnoxious. Um, they all get caught up over drinks. Um, and too many, uh, yeah, way too many, because uh, some of them are uh, having a hard time the next day, for sure. <laughs> but uh, Holly and Sam uh, go outside for a smoke. Juno inter interrupts there. Uh, you know, she's promising grand adventure with this caving expedition. Uh, and then back inside again, more drinks. There are many beer bottles in this cabin. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Sarah winces a little bit at an awkward comment from Holly about uh, children. Um, yeah, I, that I mean, that shuts that. I, I find that such a great uh, way of them shutting the conversation down, right? Like, oh, I mm -hmm. want lots of babies. And then everybody just goes quiet. And then even to the point where someone tries to start talking again, and they're like, nah, that mood is dead, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> Yep, she's absolutely a bit of a buzzkill. Um, she she thinks she's super cool. Nah, not so much. Um, Sarah wakes up early in the morning, and 
you know, she gets up out of bed. You see that uh, bottle of, uh, you know, some kind of a prescription on her uh, nightstand. Um, you know, she's probably coping with a lot still. Uh, she yep. gets up to look outside and we get that fun pipe bursting through the window and into her head. Because, of course, it's a dream. Yep. Um, but Which, I mean, very... to be fair, I imagine that if you were put through that experience and you know it was traumatic for a lot of different reasons to the point oh. where she might even have wished that she passed in the same instance mm-hmm. um and then it becomes is that her like wishing that she passed in that moment with her family or is that her terrified that it could have been her or is it a little bit of both yeah uh regardless it's uh some horrible ptsd she's dealing with yes 100 percent Oh yeah, it's uh not great. So she wakes up with a start then because this time she's really waking up. Um yeah, yeah, again, love that trope. Not so not fun. the not the end of that trope either. <laughs> no, no, we're going to keep cutting back to that, aren't we? Uh we cut to Juno uh going for a morning run because of course before doing this caving expedition, she's still going to go running, uh especially after drinking all night. Yeah, she's she's a machine. Yeah, they're, um, they're definitely trying to show how confident and how much of a badass she is, for sure. Absolutely. Uh, and she goes to wake everybody up. Everybody feels like shit. Uh, she gives them, you know, a few minutes. Uh, she bursts into the room with uh, Holly and uh, a few of the others, does this uh, bullshit move where she's able to lift her foot above her head, and uh, Holly tries to mimic this and falls on her ass because yeah you're not you're not juno you're trying to be juno so hard but you're not juno um but it's a good moment of levity uh this film needs it for sure um yeah yeah it's it's interesting how front loaded this movie is with fun and and some mm-hmm. of the more lighthearted moments for sure it yeah. uh, definitely pays off when the movie gets going Oh yeah. And then it's group photo time. And I, I love a good photo in a film that makes a call back at the end. Uh, but we're not there yet. Um, these people are driving way too fast and, uh, and they still get there late. Yeah. Yeah. They're still running late. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there's but, a reason for that. Yes. Yes. Because, um, yeah, well, we'll get there. Uh, uh, they go off road and they finally uh, get to their destination, so to speak. Um, and as they're driving, um, you know, they make a comment about, um, you know, you sure we're going the right way. And, you know, says, relax. I've never been lost in my life. Um, because of yeah, course one, she hasn't. <laughs> yes, of course, because, you know, she's just that confident in her abilities and it's wonderful foreshadowing for sure. Um, and they make it to where they're going. They get out and they've got a bit of a hike to get to this cave. Um, and as they're going, somebody decides to recite the laundry list of bad shit you can experience while caving. And it sounds just a little. Um, I love it. Yeah, it's like something It made it sound like something I want to do, you know? Yeah. After absolutely. hearing that, 100%. Got to do it. Yep. Yep. Sign me up. Yes. Um. They find along the way, um, rotting corpse of a deer 
and somebody makes the comment about how it could have been a bear. And all I'm thinking of at this point is the quarry because the mention <laughs> of bears in that game over and over is such a fun little thing. And then they make it to the mouth of this cave and they, they descend, um, which is pretty cool. Uh, you get this, um, again, beautifully shot film. It's, you know, the, the light filtering down into the hole and everything. I know a lot of this was filmed at Pinewood studios because of the, uh, the danger of actually filming inside of a cave. Yeah. They had a really cool set that they could move around and do some really cool stuff in from, from what I, uh, watched and like the behind the scenes stuff and everything nice nice well they, they make it all look very real that's for sure um once they get down and of course holly has to be the the, the asshole you know the last one oh, down man. she has to fly down as you know fast as gravity will take her and she nearly clobbers somebody um somebody breaks out a small uh digital camcorder and starts uh filming a little bit Isn't it holly and, Maybe, yeah, you're right. It is Holly because uh, she's the one that's constantly documenting all sorts of shit. Um, and she's like, wow, this cave is way cooler than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, she was making comments. I can't remember the name of the cave they were supposed to be going to. Uh, right, but yeah, yeah but she, it was she, supposed to be for preface. It was supposed to be like a level two, whatever that means, which I guess is easy on the spelunking scale. Mm-hmm. And uh not uh not not so easy apparently because we're gonna find out very soon yes yeah you had that um shot when they left the uh left the trucks of uh juno leaving the guidebook in the glove box um because clearly it wouldn't have helped them anyways uh because there's someplace different um and sarah is looking around and she sees some wonderful bloody claw marks in the stone um that's yeah that's not unsettling at all that's not something that you would call (laughs) out to the rest of your party hey look at this now now you're just gonna look at it and kind of shrug and keep it moving um and then we get the you know required burst of bats flying out of the cave that startles everyone um because you know it's a cave so you got to have bats flying out startling folks it's it works though it's a nice jump scare I think I think if you if as a viewer, if you hadn't figured it out already, you know, uh, this is not the cave that they were supposed to go into, because generally speaking, unless the cave is meant to be like a bat sighting cave, uh, they would have known that this was like a bat nesting area. Um, from what I understand, as far as public caves are concerned, generally speaking, <laughs> bats aren't going to stay there because there's too many people coming in and out. So interesting so once more a little sign of um this is this is not the right place um and of course holly she has to you know do the little um you know count reference from sesame street and it's it's not you you do a bad count holly it's true it's bad uh they descend further juno leading the way um and they find this large open chamber and uh, spark up a couple of flares and all stare around and wonder. And yeah, it's cool. It's, you know, it's, this is what we're here for. Right. Um, ignoring Gina. Oh, go ahead. Is, oh, what I love is after this point, the film gets very quiet for a little while. Yeah. Um, it just with, the, they let the score go. They're kind of exploring. Yeah. There's a few like, wow, whoa. 
oh my gosh um and like once they're in the cave like it just kind of gets quiet and it's an interesting kind of flip from how loud the movie has been you know since the beginning and can we mention also that the cast here is very dynamic like there's literally a bunch of different personalities that are really well realized Mm -hmm. and they're all women they're all different strong powerful women doing uh some really cool things and i i think especially for the time period 2005 you know we we weren't seeing a lot of that um and i remember you know this film in particular hit really really well um and yet I still don't hear people talk about it enough. <laughs> yeah, I, I think there's a lot from this time period that's largely forgotten. You know, if it wasn't a giant blockbuster or something. Well, it, it sucks, too, because we also had, you know, it was crowded by the, you know, Saw movies and mm-hmm. uh, the Hostel movies and all these uh, gore porn movies that. Yeah, were, yeah, uh, the torture porn. The kind yeah. of hallmark of of what people think of generally when they think of the 2000s era i mean the poster for this film was like from the producers of saw and hostile it's sure sure yeah yeah all the women uh like in different positions forming a skull forming the skull yeah yeah those uh fun touch um makes me think of the old silence of the lambs posters um but uh yeah yeah as far as like the different you know women in the bunch you know you've got juno the uh you know super aggressive like the stalwart explorer yeah exactly (laughs) and uh beth who's very protective of sarah probably because she knows also what was going on between juno and paul or at least had her suspicions that, um, that apology at the end of the movie, not to jump, but it hit me a lot harder this time uh, than yeah. I think it did the last time, you know, times I've watched that movie. Just because, like I said, I had kind of paid more attention to Paul and this this watch um, and Juno, this watch. And so it was just one of those things where when that hit, I was like, oh, man, she knew the entire time. Or like you said, at least had very strong suspicions. But I think with how close they were, she definitely knew. I think yeah. it was one of those things where it was like, Juno was like, you cannot tell Sarah sort of thing. You know, it's like they probably if if life had gone on, you know, Paul would have been like, hey, you know, I am in love with somebody else. And then they would have come out with it. It was Juno and that would have broke the group apart anyway. And that would have been a very different movie because I feel like this would have been a, hey, let's get past this. You're my best friend sort of movie instead of oh crap let's get you back on your feet sort of movie mm-hmm. yeah um also um sam and rebecca who spend a lot of time together in this film is that a cheers reference i don't know i i don't know <laughs> <laughs> um but yes they are they are literally pretty much together the entire movie Right, right. It's all of a sudden that hit me. It's like, yeah, there was Sam and Diane, but after Shelley Long left Cheers, then we got uh, what's her face that played Rebecca. And okay, yep, it's it's got to be. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. I've never thought about it like that, but that's great. Uh, so yeah, uh, 
one of the things they bring up uh, earlier in this film as they're heading towards the cave is the laundry list of rules of caving. You know, you, you let somebody know where you're going. You don't go off on your own. You stick together. So rule one's clearly been broken by Juno. Rule 100%. two, we've got, um, uh, we, we've got Sarah breaking here in that she goes off on her own to poke around in this chamber. And, um, you know, we get a little jump scare uh, from uh, Juno uh, grabbing her and saying, hey, come on, it's time to go eat. And, you know, they go off and they hydrate and have a snack. And uh, Sarah just kind of shrugs off Juno's, you know, ham-fisted attempt at mothering here. Um you know, saying it's jet lag or whatever, right? Um, she's just, she's not ready to really be that friendly with her, I guess. Um, right. Yeah, I mean, so as we know later in the movie, like, Sarah was the one who wanted this. She's the one who wanted to go spelunking. She needed something to get out of her own head, restart her mm -hmm. life, and try and get back on her feet. and she wholeheartedly i think was thinking of something easy something like the cave they had planned on just just to get ease back into it but of course that's not juno can't do that juno nope. can't do an easy cave um my my question is how did she come across this cave if no one had discovered this cave before was it just something that she found while hiking one time how did it, that's an interesting one to me yeah, yeah, that's uh, definitely something that's um, unclear and could have potentially been something that was left on uh, the cutting room floor. Um, who knows? But yeah, yeah, just she's just way too intense for Sarah um, yeah, at this 100%. point. And, uh, you know, Juno apologizes at this point for not sticking around very long after the accident. And um, again, for very different reasons. Yes, yes, because she probably didn't want to be found out as well as well, more, more, more that like, I mean, the person she loved just died, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, just this is not good. Um, <laughs> Sarah just doesn't want to fucking talk about it. And she heads right. off to find another passage. Um, so here's my question about Holly at this point. Um, does she really have a good understanding about what happened to Sarah? Because right around here, she makes another comment that just makes it seem she's either completely oblivious and that would be very much in her character, or she's just not been completely filled in on what exactly happened to Sarah. Yeah. So, <laughs> Holly is an interesting character. I honestly think that she wasn't informed at all. Like I, I assume she knew that there was an accident, but with Juno's relationship to Sarah and Paul and everything, I don't think that she really talked about what happened in that accident. I think sure it's more one like of those it. things. Yeah. Where Sarah, where, where Juno was like, yeah, Sarah got into an accident. So this is kind of her first time back out. So if we could, you know, be nice to her, that'd be great. And that's it. Nothing about that. Her husband died in the accident. Nothing about that. Her child died in the accident. 
I think she was just completely oblivious to that part of it. Yeah, and Juno also strikes me as somebody who's just that fucking careless. Sure, yeah. I mean, she obviously decided to bring, you know, her along on a trip that should have just been for the core group of them. Um, yeah, it should have been opinion. five people instead of six. For sure. Um, yeah. yeah, so let's see here. At this point, Sarah finds a passage, but it's very small. And Holly goes first. And one by one, they make their way through. But of course, Sarah gets stuck and starts getting anxious. Uh, Beth goes back for her. And, you know, trying to get her to calm down because she's having a freaking panic attack being pinned in this tight tunnel. Um, you know, Beth talks to her about, hey, the worst thing that could ever happen to you, that's already happened. Just, you know, got to breathe. And then they hear a bit of a rumbling. And that's the fire under her ass that she needs to get going because they've got a bit of a cave in happening here. And they make it through, um, losing a bag with half of their rope in the meantime. But uh, yeah, yeah, that 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 passage is done. So uh, they are indeed trapped. And yeah, I I really liked that line though about you know the worst thing that could ever happen to you has already happened, because it's very true. I mean, at this point, like what's what's worse than losing a child mm -hmm. i don't i don't think there is anything um quite as traumatizing as that i mean that's you that literally is your world right mm -hmm. um so yeah i i think that uh that really in that moment was both the worst thing and the best thing to probably say yeah, is something to get her ass in gear. Uh, Sarah also gets knocked out at this point. This this happens a few times to her in this film. And again, dreams of cake and candles. Um, and she comes to and everybody's fucking freaked out. And they're all, you know, trying to figure out what the fuck to do, what's going on. And here is where Juno admits that this is not the cave they were looking this, uh... I didn't bring the book. Why didn't you bring the book? Because this isn't the cave. Yep. Um, and the rest of them are noticeably upset. <laughs> yep. This uh, this is not good. Mm. Um, Juno says she wanted them to explore this new cave and make these discoveries together. Oh, be careful what you wish for, my dear. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, and again, does she really want that? I think this is just her own ego talking. Oh, which... absolutely an ego trip for sure. Yes, yes. She this... saw this as an opportunity way mm -hmm. more than a, than a way to help her friend. Yep, absolutely she did. It's, it's always about her. It's, yep. you know, she's the one that was helping to break up a marriage, you know, at, at one point. Of course, it's always about her. It's mm -hmm. yeah. Um, so they argue about their next plan of action and 
you know, Sarah again wanders off. Stop doing that, Sarah. God. Um, but as she does, uh, she's, you know, playing around with her light and uh, she definitely notices something. It's one of those blinking you miss it things, too. Um, but uh, yeah, there's like just a little bit of an outline or a little bit of a shadow or something of uh, something. Now, if I remember correctly, there's another monster that's already been seen before this point. It's just not pointed out. Um, um it's like I, a very quick in the background, like oh, this is thing. that point. Yeah, because uh, this well, no, is no, no, not I'm hers. Saying that, I'm saying that none of them notice it. Right. Exactly. Oh, it's, is that, it's is that the, this one? That is this one. Yeah. Okay, where okay, there's okay. like this little outcropping of rock and you can't even tell what it is, but the light plays across it and then she brings the light back and that thing, whatever it is, is no longer there. Um, yeah. And she, you know, has this look of like what on, on her face, but you know, just kind of, pushes that off because of the situation you know we got to figure out what the hell we're going to do here um and they find another tunnel to crawl through and of course when they come out the other side they face this almost bottomless chasm uh they even you know light up a few flares and everything and then one of them drops a rock i think it's beth and somebody says oh thanks now i know how deep it is (laughs) Because it would be pointless. It, right. It's so deep. Um, and yes. Um, Rebecca uh, now is going to try to climb her way across the ceiling using, um, I forget what you call them, um, but uh, these little devices that wedge themselves into the rock uh, so that you can, you know, snap some carabiners on them and string a line across. Oh my God. You know, uh, it's like, it's not, it's a, not a piton because that's what yeah. they find. And that would have been like a really old school, the kind of thing you would have hammered into rock. Um, right. uh, but yeah, um, her struggle to make her way across here, uh, across the, the ceiling of this uh, chamber um, this, this is not a sport for people with rotator cuff issues. That's for sure. <laughs> um, I'm uh, just saying real quick. There are way too many rock climbing terms that I've never heard of. <laughs> I was, I thought I would just try and see if I could find it real quick. And there's like literally an A to Z list in every oh, single God. category has like more than 10 entries in it. So, uh, so I'm not I'm not going to do that one. That one, that yep. one goes by. Yeah, we're just going to say the device. They only have three or four of the device. And um, yeah, uh, she does make her way across, but only by using uh, a, a very, very old uh, piton uh, that she finds. And that's what is able to get her the rest of the way across. And, um, you know, they throw a rope and they rig up a system where, you know, they can basically, you know, do the cliffhanger thing of, you know, working their way across. And that's um, a movie I haven't thought of in a long time. I know. Right. (laughs) It's just there waiting for you. (laughs) (laughs) What's the there's another one with with Sylvester Stallone, not cliffhanger. The one where he's like they're in the tunnel. Um, Oh, is it 
daylight. I think daylight is it because that's what what my thought was. God, I haven't thought about either of those movies in forever. Thank you for that. Yeah, yeah, happy to help. Um, so they one by one make their way across, and Juno's the last one, but she wants to conserve their gear because she figures they're going to need every bit piece of it. So she unties the rope, uh, throws it back over, tells him to pull it up, and she makes her way across the uh, ceiling, uh, and grabbing the you know, the bits and pieces on the way. And that piton breaks free, and uh, Jesus, Rebecca tears the shit out of her hand by trying to grab onto the rope as it's slipping away. Um, and just barely, they're able to save Juno. Um, yeah, this is effective, this is stressful. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I wouldn't call this movie a slow burn because there's something constantly happening in it. Oh, yeah. But what I will say is that it does a great job at always raising the stakes, building more tension. As soon as you think, oh, this is it. This is where it's going to break. This is where everything is going to start happening. Nah, you still got way more to go. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's it's beautifully done in I in my opinion. Um, yeah, one thing that I completely missed before all this happens when it's just down to Sarah and Juno and Sarah needs to make her way across. Um, Sarah says to her, was this about me or you? And literally Juno, what we were talking about a minute ago. Exactly. And Juno's just like, it's about us getting back to what we used to be. And, <laughs> and it's like, no, no, we, 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 we know. We know this is just your ego again. Um, so yes, Rebecca's hand is bleeding profusely. Um, and as they bandage her up and they haul Juno up, they realize, oh, this is climbing gear from like a hundred years ago. Yep. Um, yikes. We're, we're, we're doomed. We're doomed. And yeah, yeah, they kind of are. Um, Holly sets out to find a way through. And this is where they find uh, the drawings on the cave walls. Which is interesting. Um, but Juno's like, nah, it, our batteries are going to run out. We can't just stand here looking at this stuff. Yeah, this this is cool and all, but we need to get going. Yep. But Beth sees something as they're, you know, barely able to see things. And she convinces her to, you know, spark up a flare so they can get a better look. And this is where they see that... Uh, Here's the mountain. Here's the entrance that we came through. And it looks like there's another entrance on the other side. So there may indeed be a way out. Two entrances. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And this is where we also get a creature, you know, observing them from the darkness. And we hear a little bit of a growl. This which... is the one that I was thinking of. Yeah, where nobody where sees nobody it. They all have their backs it. turned. Yes. Yeah. I couldn't remember if that happened already or if it happened. Yeah, okay. So yes, this is the one that I was thinking of. Gotcha, gotcha. The one that I'm thinking of is just the the very subtle one that's blinking yeah, yeah. and miss it. I literally just watched a video of, of that one to remind myself. Uh yeah. even though I just watched the movie this morning. <laughs> Same. Um Same. Um, but uh yeah so this was the one that i was thinking of i for some reason thought this one happened before the other one mm -hmm. and we definitely get the sense that these critters are goopy because they are 
Um, oh man, this, this whole movie is very wet. Yes, yes, impossibly wet. Um, so they find another passageway, um, you know, kind of using airflow as their guide. Uh, you know, uh, they, they bring out a lighter and they see, you know, the direction of the flame and all that shit. Um, and Holly just goes tearing off and unfortunately she slips and falls down a deeper passage and ends up with a nice compound fracture, which is super neat. Um, and this is where the movie really starts. Yes. Yes. Uh, I, I can't think where they are time-wise in the film, but this is where things really take off for sure. Now, uh, I, speaking of how we have with Holly and her being stupid and doing a bunch of dumb stuff, did, did, you, did you feel bad for her when this happened? <clears throat> yes and no. Um, at a certain point, it's a horror film. I you just like, expect people to be fodder. Um, but I feel like I was more disturbed at how good they made that broken leg look or broken. Uh, you know, yeah. Yeah. Bone. Broken, broken oh, yeah. Bone look. Compound fractures are neat um, and always, you know, give you a good skin crawl for sure. Yeah. Um, so they provide some first aid here and it's fucking brutal. There's just blood and obvious pain and so on. And Sarah wanders off yet again, again. And this is where she finds like a miner's helmet or something like that. And you know, she's why she doesn't bring it back to show the rest of the group is weird. But, um, and then we cut back to the, you know, the game working on Holly. And Wait, uh, is, is this the part where she sees something? Almost. Okay, okay, okay. Um, so I, would, tell- I feel like that would be a great reason for her not to bring the helmet back, right? It'd be yeah. If she that, that, that could have been it, yeah. Um, and then, but and she then puts it down, it. and I think right. that's when she sees it. Um, but in the meantime, they're telling Holly, "Okay, uh, to dress this wound, we're gonna have to push the bone back. Yeah, we're gonna in. have to set it." Mm, I forget what they use as a splint, but that'll come back later. Um, it may have been a climbing axe. I, I think can't. it was a climbing axe. Okay. It's amazing that we both watched it this morning. And, I, and I know. Remember. I know. Well, you know, there's a lot of other detail that we're paying attention to, I suppose. That's true. That's but, true. um, yeah. Um, and then we cut back to Sarah where she hears a bit of a growl in the darkness and she sees this creature very golem like, uh, taking a drink. Um, and then it spots her, and it runs off and Juno comes up behind her and she's like trying to tell the gang what she saw, but nobody believes her specifically Juno. These things um, are, are what Gollum would have looked like if they did a practical effect instead of a CG character. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Um, and just think this film was like a couple of years after return of the King. Um, oof. Uh, so Juno explains, um, that the Wait, daylight that oh i i'm sorry i'm sorry i just had the image flash in my head of one of them saying my precious and it made me laugh so i had to share fair that's fair. Just imagine Gollum's voice coming i now i want to make that edit wait like rolling oh. its head around and saying my precious man mm-hmm. okay. I, have a, that, I have a future project there you go it could be the the scene where uh the the one crawler because apparently that's what these creatures are called um yeah is like defending its food. Yeah. Um, yeah. My precious. Oh God. Yes. There you it go. It writes itself. 
Yes, sorry, it does. Sorry, sorry. No, you're good. Um, so the reason that Holly had run off originally, uh, not just because she's desperately trying to find a way out, but also because she thought she saw daylight. And Juno explains, no, it's the phosphorus in the rock. You're not seeing daylight, you dumb shit. Um, and they continue on, um, you know, kind of helping Holly hobble along because she can't walk. She can't put any weight on this leg. They should have just um, called her Hobbly. Yeah, there you go. Hobbling Holly. Um, and they make their way into another chamber, and it's something of uh, Golgotha. You know, there's just bones everywhere. Um, and somebody finally gets the bright idea, hey, let's use the night vision on the camera to look around. And, you know, people start panicking because they're still thinking of, you know, what, you know, Sarah said about seeing something. And they're in this place with all these bones and everything. And this is where we get the bit from the trailer uh, where I can't remember if it's Sam, Rebecca or Beth who screams out, you know, hello, is there anybody there? And the night vision camera turns over and it's one of the crawlers standing right behind uh it's either sam or beth it's so yeah. hard to tell in the night vision uh and it kind of just bursts through them and does like a little slip and slide thing on the floor because again everything is impossibly wet and um and everybody has a good freak out because um yeah yeah um it, what the fuck is this thing? Right. And it crawls up the wall and it's on the ceiling. They're all playing their lights off of it. And okay. It's like time to go. Um, and they hear more of e either the same creature or more of them screeching. And I think it's Juno that says something about they're circling us or something like this. And it attacks and basically tears Holly's throat out. Um, and thank God, because she was dead weight anyways, right? Um, <laughs> we, we get this great shot of arterial spray through the air. And Dude, there's just... so many great particle effect sequences in, in these shots. Just practical, uh, whether it's dirt flying, blood flying, something flying through the air. <laughs> viscera yeah um oh uh, yeah it and juno tries to help her you know she dead girl uh <laughs> but this is the part where the crawler is defending its food and it like right. pushes her back and they 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 just continue to fight um and everybody runs off uh beth falls in some water sarah falls and smacks her you know thankfully helmet covered head uh breaking the light on her helmet uh, and, uh, Sam and Rebecca, they, you know, go their, their way. And, uh, this is where, you know, we completely glossed over much earlier in the film. They, um, make a Tomb Raider reference because of going into this deep, dark cave. Oh uh, yeah. I meant to refer, I meant to say that earlier and then I forgot. Yeah. And this is where Juno, um, you know, brings up that climbing axe, which uh, is used to great effect in the, the reboots, um, you know, maybe about, you know, 10 years or so later. Um, and she fights this thing off with the climbing axe and it's awesome. Um, 
And then another crawler attacks her from behind. Uh, she gets the better of it. Um, and then in her berserker rage, she ends up putting this axe through Beth's neck. Don't sneak up on somebody when they're swinging an axe around is all I got to say. And not that Beth deserved this, but you know, it's, this it's is like, such a hard scene, right? Because in her mind, she's running towards safety. She's running towards yes. her friend, um, you know, and all of a sudden from Juno's perspective, you know, she's fighting off these things. She doesn't know how many there are. She mm-hmm. hears something running up behind her. She swings. Yeah, and it's very much an accident. From Beth's point of view, she just got murdered by Juno. Mm-hmm. Like that was that was it. And, and the worst part is that Juno doesn't have the response that Beth wanted. Right. She wanted Juno to be like, it was an accident. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. I thought you were one of them. We need to get you out of here. We need to save you. That's not the reaction Juno ends up having, which no. I find to be a very telling thing because we've talked about this entire time. It's all about Juno. It's all about her. So she goes into survival mode and she's like, I can't let anyone know I did this. I can't let anyone know that this happened. Bye, Beth. Yep. Yep. And Beth uh, grabs uh, the necklace from Juno's neck as she drops to the ground. Um Juno's absolutely the person in a zombie movie that, uh, you know, if they got bitten, would not tell the others that they got. Right, bit. right. <laughs> um, she, she, she's that one. Um, ugh. And now yeah, that's... we don't know the significance behind the necklace yet, do we? Not yet. No. Okay. Um, but, oh, it will indeed come back. It's, it's hard because, you know, we've seen the movie before. So we know yeah. what the implication of the necklace is. So I'm just trying to remember, like, there is no part of this movie where we find out what that pendant is until here in a, in a moment. Mm hmm. Okay. Um, yes. So uh, Beth goes down and Sam and Becca are freaking the fuck out. And we cut to Sarah dreaming of her daughter, Jessica. But there's a fun little twist this time because she turns into a crawler. And she snaps awake. And of course, the night vision camera is pointed right at her face when she does so. It's it's a cool shot. Um, you know, one in a million chance that everything would land this way. But it's a cool shot. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm happy that they used the kind of found footage stuff very minimally mm-hmm. in the movie. I think it would have been an interesting film um, if they had done it in a found footage because they totally had the opportunity right oh yeah like this absolutely could have been a found footage film and i think done right it could have been really cool yeah um but i i did like when they used it they used it in a way that helped the film rather than hindered it um which can always happen like you know you're watching a movie and then they cut to a security camera quote unquote (laughs) Mm-hmm. And then it's it's like a regular camera with a gray filter that they threw some digital right. numbers in front of or something. This, right. this felt like you were looking through a camcorder with night vision on. Yep. Um, yeah, I agree. It, it works very much so. Um, so she wakes up and she hears the scuttling and screeching in the distance. And she looks around with the camera and she finds more skulls and bones. And then Holly's body is unceremoniously dumped in front of her and a bunch of smaller crawlers, probably 
children uh, come rushing in because it's feeding time. Now, I'm going to be honest, this this scene's kind of heartbreaking, right? Oh, yeah. In in the sense of if you think about this from the perspective of the crawlers, right? You know, we we're at this point kind of thinking of them as like these terrible monsters, these horrible creatures. But I mean, they've probably lived in this area of North Carolina for hundreds of years at this point. Mm-hmm. And here these freaking people come in to their home and start wrecking shop. And now, mm-hmm. now they're just trying to do feeding time. Mommy's trying to feed her babies and this lady's yep. in here and oof. Yeah. This uh, crew of spelunkers, uh, they are indeed the enemy, right? Um, yeah, and so again, it's feeding time, and she just kind of backs up and tries to be quiet, right? Um, we uh, cut to Sam and Rebecca, uh, continuing on. They turn off what lights they have, and they just hunker down. Uh, they've got, you know, one of those, like, light stick type things. I forget what the chemical's called, but, uh, you know, the, the shit you go trick-or-treating with when you're a kid, right? <laughs> Yeah, you know, um, the, the stuff they used for the original, like, Predator blood. Predator, so. yeah. <laughs> yep, uh, so they've got one of those, and you get the fun green cast. Uh, just, uh, you know, we talked earlier about how red is very appropriate for this film, red lighting, uh, but also the green, uh, very much so as well. Uh, it's a cool look. Um, so they just hunker down and try to be quiet. Um and from here, uh, Sarah, we got right back to Sarah and she's about ready to puke watching these uh, crawlers eat Holly. Um, but this is where she finally gets the sense that, oh, they're blind uh, because there's one that hears her nearly wretch and turns around. But her being relatively quiet, it doesn't sense her. Um, Again, uh, through the the uh, night vision camera, um, we we get a nice close up of this critter's face, and uh, it, 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 the practical effects, like you said, um, they could be maybe a little bit better with the creatures, but it still looks good. Let's be fair, oh, yeah. especially Absolutely. for two thousand five, it still looks good. Um, uh, and. Let's see here. Um, kind of lost my place. Apologies. No, um, oh, um, Juno uh, scares them off by uh, calling for everyone. Um, and then Sam and Rebecca, they're trying to be extra quiet at this point because there is a crawler that has entered their space and it is climbing over them. And they manage to stay still and quiet enough that it passes them by. But then Rebecca's stupid watch that she was fumbling (laughs) around with in the car ride to this place starts going off. Quickly, she rips it off her wrist and throws it as a way to lure the crawler away from them. And we're back to shadowing in the those earlier conversations. And that that initial banter is so great. Mm-hmm. I, where that like one of them is like, man, if somebody gave me that, I would have just thrown it away into a dumpster or whatever. So mm-hmm. that works. Um, and we cut back to Juno just shouting like crazy. I mean, Juno, Jesus, stop shouting. Um, <laughs> and then uh, over to Sarah, who cuts the splint free from Holly's leg, and she fashions it into a torch. Um, 
and then oh yeah so it must not have been a uh axe if she used it to make a torch yeah i'm just talking earlier about what they used and at first i thought was it the piton that they grabbed out of the ceiling but that wouldn't have been long enough right i I don't know um it wasn't a bone I, i just i don't know what this was um, again, we did a great job paying attention. Yay us. <laughs> um, but um, let's see here. Uh, she makes the torch, and then we cut back to Rebecca and Sam. They're trying to find a way out of their area, and we get that fun fake out of um, Rebecca looking down the one uh, passageway, seeing that it's clear, going back to Sam, saying it's clear, sending Sam through, and then when Rebecca comes through, we get a crawler attack. It works. Yep. That works. Um, you can kind of see it coming, but it works. Um, and then yeah, Sam, not, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, no, no. I was just saying they're not worried about subterfuge at this point. Like, no, they're, they're just like go, 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 go. They're barreling through. You know, they're taking a page from Aliens, where things just don't let up, right? I thought uh, of Aliens a lot during this rewatch. Um, there's a scene here in a little bit where like there's a bunch of them crawling in a tunnel and it totally reminds me of that sequence when there's a bunch of aliens like waking up and crawling out in that one room that the Marines go into. Mm-hmm. Totally reminded me of that. Or the part where they're uh, above the ceiling tiles. Yeah. 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 It's um wonderful inspiration that hopefully never dies. Um, <laughs> But um, let's see here. Sam runs away and Rebecca tries to fight the crawler. Uh, She's got an axe of her own. She's not much of a fighter. And as she's struggling with this thing, uh, Juno throws her fucking axe into the back of this thing and then just walks up and snaps the fucker's neck. Um, Straight action movie status. Yeah. She in this moment is the badass that she thinks she is. Um but it is kind of cool, let's be fair. Um so Juno lies about Beth at this moment. It's more of a lie of a mission, but that still counts. Um, because uh the the girls they ask, Hey, what about Beth? What about Sarah? And she's just like, Yeah, Beth's gone. Or yeah. whatever. It, <laughs> if you can't own up to, to it in this moment you're just yeah okay and real th- quick real quick mm. what would Ar- the arnold quote be for throwing the the climbing axe and then breaking the neck i don't i'm i don't know why but i'm like that seems like one of those moments right we joked about it being straight out of an action movie but like i'm just uh I'm just trying to think of what yeah. that one would be. Like, I have a question. Yeah. yeah I, I have really a... gave you a twist. Yes. I have a question to ask you and make it snappy. Oh, there you go. That's good. That's yeah. good. Mm. <laughs> yeah, you're right. If this were an Arnold movie from 20 years prior, there would have been some type of a one-liner S- in this some, moment. Some sort of one-liner, yeah. Yeah, like the predators mm. stick around. 
Right. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, there's there's always a good a good uh, Arnold quote somewhere, but stick around is one of the best ones where he oh, throws God, yes. the Bowie knife. Mm hmm. Uh, and then we get into some heavy exposition at this point uh, about. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, about what these things are, how they possibly could have evolved this way, uh, how they're blind and they use echolocation like bats. It's like you're you're really picking up a lot from these past five minutes. You are. It's cool. You are terrified out of your mind. Uh, and yet, you know, Juno is forcing you to tell her what these creatures are uh, before letting you leave, I guess. And you're making a lot of leaps in logic on how they work and function. <laughs> I mean, it's all correct, but, you know. Yeah. Right, right, right. You just, yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, I just, I want to know, you know, if there was a sequence where, like, they analyzed the one with the broken neck and, like, did a, a one of those dumb autopsies, like, they pulled it onto a, a little stone tablet and took the mountain climbing axe and, like, cut its belly open, and they're, like, <laughs> she reaches inside, there's, like, a goopy effect, they pull out some organs, and she's, like, wow, these are human, like, these, these are us, these things... They they used to be us. And then she like flops it down and starts inspecting the ears. And she's like, oh, wow. If I if I had to judge, I'd say that these ears evolved and developed for, you know, hypersensitive I, hearing. And they probably use screaming and clicking for echolocation. <laughs> to be fair, you know, they do poke around the eyes quite a bit. Oh, yeah, they're blind. Um, <laughs> There's some literal eye poking here in a minute. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> that's true. Uh, so they they make a comment. I think it's Juno about not leaving without Sarah. Um, <laughs> God, you just you want to make up for things you've done, but you don't really, do you? Um, right. And let's see here. This is where Sarah finds Beth, and she ain't dead, oh. but she's on her way out. And I don't know how Beth is able to speak still. It's, right. But, you know, she took an axe through her neck and it missed her vocal cords, I guess. It but definitely uh, hit the most vital area it needed to, but completely missed the vocal cords. Yeah, the fact that she hasn't bled out yet is a fucking the miracle. Fact, the fact that she's not choking on blood, the fact that she mm -hmm. can talk through the blood buildup in her neck, the swelling in her neck, all these different things that should be happening. Unless there's some time dilation happening here where she got hit in the neck like minutes ago and yeah. you know then it's just like they missed each other but because it's a movie they wanted to show you each thing that was happening and uh it's actually only been a few minutes maybe, yeah. maybe the blood hadn't cooled in uh, as as much as it would have and maybe there hasn't been a shit oh, ton of God. swelling yet but <laughs> I, I don't know, man. I don't know. But at the end of the day, we just have to throw our hands up and say, it's a movie. Yeah, um, yeah. So uh, Beth tells Sarah not to trust Juno. And she hands her the necklace and tells her that it was from Paul. And she flips it over and on and the back, apologizes. it says, yes, yes. Uh, she They flip over the necklace and you see on the back, it says love each day. You know, it's some live, laugh, love bullshit. Um and which which is a reference to earlier in the movie when she says love each day and gotcha. someone's like totally missed someone's that. like whatever and then she says it's something paul used to say mm. and that's that that's sarah saying that 
and then for the necklace the pendant to have that it confirms this had to have come from paul yep yep totally missed that and yes beth apologizes but then also asks sarah to kill her and sarah's like i can't do that and 30 seconds later picks up a rock and bashes her head in yeah Um, quite brutally there's a real flip there very quickly um to to be fair though this whole kind of this this everything after she gets knocked out mm-hmm. she's almost like a completely different person in a lot of ways like, yeah well you know a head injury will do that to you um <laughs> so then right after she takes out beth there's a crawler that pops out of nowhere and Sarah kills it. And it turns out it's just a little guy and I, mom I, is not happy. I want to point out here that if you listen to the sounds that are coming out of this crawler, it sounds like they recorded like an ad, like a, a baby crying, like a, a somewhere between Oof. two and four year old, like screaming or crying for the sounds that this thing makes. And it sounds weirdly out of place because it's not like, you know, um, it it doesn't necessarily sound like it's coming from the creature uh, because of the way it's it's the intervals of in which it's screaming uh, Mm. is a little strange. But at the same time, the implication is there. And yeah, it sounds like a little child screaming as she fucking murders it. Yeah. And (laughs) yes, mom pops up and uh, Sarah's like, nope. Don't want to deal with that. And she runs the other way headlong into a. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. There's a very humanizing moment here. Oh, yeah. Where where the mother crawls over the corpse of her little child and sniffs it. And you literally hear like her mournful cry Mm -hmm. that, you know, obviously builds into rage. But uh, it reaffirms the fact that like they are causing destruction, destruction in these the creatures home. Yes. Yeah. They came into their house and fucked stuff up. Yes. Um, so yeah, Sarah runs headlong into this giant pool of like blood and gore. And we get the uh, apocalypse now shot of her rising out of this pool covered in blood and viscera. Um, and so does the crawler mama. Uh, because she attacks her. Um, and Sarah manages to find an antler and stab her in the eye. And she just sinks back down into the pool. One of Nero's and, eye pokes to come. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. Um, and then another crawler enters and crawls over her and she stays still and then gets up and just kills it using a bone as a club. And then for some reason, she wants to scream out no like Vader at the end of Revenge of the Sith. Um, Now, this one, this one is is, this is the moment where like she's laying there quiet and it crawls out and she's literally got like a hand on her, right? Yeah, it's on her head. And this thing is looking around (laughs) and it's like, you're not noticing that this is, you know, kind of squishy and a little warm. Yeah, I'm wondering. I'm wondering if this is an implication that they're like hands are super calloused because they're crawling around on rocks all the time. Not, not necessarily like this is, this is saying that, but like a reason as to why she, it may not feel her is because it's, you know, it walks around on mostly all fours 
and is yeah. able to grip the ceiling of a rock and and hang from it. So I imagine it's got very calloused, unfeeling hands for the most part. Yeah, that that makes total sense. Um, I don't know, but she fucks this thing up with that bone. Yeah, she does. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh man. Oh. And and then we cut to Juno and we get that scene that you're talking about from Aliens, how she turns around with her light and there's a very large pack of crawlers assembling yep. and she runs. Um, and then we cut back to Sam uh, coming to another chasm and she tries to crawl across the ceiling. Juno and Rebecca meet up and they watch as this crawler on the ceiling just tears out uh, Sam's throat. All the while, Juno is saying, there's not enough rope. Come back down. Don't do this. Don't do this. Mm -hmm. Stop. Come back down. And uh, yeah, uh, she she does get some revenge, though. A little bit of revenge. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then just immediately, Rebecca is grabbed and eaten alive in front of Juno. Um, <laughs> just kind of out of nowhere. But um, yeah. it's it is graphic. Uh, and Juno just jumps into the water in this chasm and comes face to face with, um, I, I think the, the light stick fell into the water because everything has the green glow down there. Mm -hmm. Um, and she comes face to face with, um, I don't know if it was the crawler from the ceiling or what, but of course it's eyes open and, uh, but she just stabs the fucker and is done with it. That was I, I kind of wish there was more of a fight in the water, but yeah, sure. whatever. Um, and then she... It is a cool effect, though, seeing the blood kind of pool out of its head. Yes. Yeah, I like that. Um, so she climbs out of the water and kind of scuttles up the side to, to the other side of the chasm. It's like, why couldn't they have just done this if the water wasn't too far down and everything? I guess... It, you you can't just assume that the water would be deep enough to jump into. She did it out of desperation, right. but um, you know, she climbs up the other side and runs into Sarah who pulls her inside this little uh, uh, niche. Um, like a freaking ninja, man. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. And she's covered in blood and gore. And Juno's like, what happened to you? Um, uh, yeah. And Sarah, yeah, Sarah kind of traps Juno in a lie about Beth. Oh but man, it's so on. hard. Mm -hmm. You saw her die? Yeah. <laughs> okay, then this way. Yeah. Um so they run into a gang of crawlers and they're surrounding them and they kind of, you know, kind of do that back to back getting prepared to fight thing. Which is cool. It, it it works for me. Um, yeah. Throughout this entire sequence, though, I was like, "Don't don't get close to Juno. Don't get close to Juno." Yeah, because <laughs> she starts swinging that axe, and you need to watch out. <laughs> oh God! And um, yeah, they they fight him off pretty effectively. Um, Sarah pulls a total Roy Batty on this one crawler by punching uh, through its eyes with yeah. her thumbs. So there's there's three of them here and she's fighting two of them and then Juno's fighting one of them and she kills the one that like grabs her from behind somehow. I don't remember how. 
and then yeah then she turns back to the one she's got on the ground and yeah completely 28 days later or whatever blade whatever runner. blade runner eye popping movie you want to pull it's it's that through and through but i will say they go a little further in this movie right where like not only do you get the, the thumbs plunging into the the eye sockets but like even after it's dead she like wiggles her fingers around <laughs> in the sockets to like and, make sure <laughs> and then even though she's covered in all this gore and viscera she takes a moment to wipe her hands wipe on her, her hands pants. on her pants which are already covered in blood like <laughs> yes oh my god is it something uh, she stands back up and faces Juno, who smiles at her in their victory. Yeah, because and, Juno at this point had just smashed the one she was fighting against a rock enough time for blood to spurt out of its head like a fountain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Sarah's got the axe in one hand and a closed fist where she releases the necklace on its Wait, chain. So so she's got a flare in one hand. Oh, it's like, a flare. I, I'm sorry. I thought then, it was an axe of her own. And um, no, she has an axe as well. But in that axe hand, that's where the, the pendant falls down. It's gotcha. in the axe hand. That the, and you uh, see the realization is. on Juno's face like, oh, fuck. Yep. Yeah. And uh, yeah. It lingers here for a minute. It lingers oh, yeah. on this moment for quite yeah. a while, it feels like. And they get screeching all around them of more crawlers coming. So Sarah just hauls off and drives that ax through Juno's leg, wounding love, her and trapping her. I love how wide this swing is. It's like this impossibly wide. Like if Juno had any reaction time whatsoever, she could have stopped it from happening. I think she's just stunned from In being shock. found out. Right. Um, all the different processes going through her head. But it, like even even still, it, you you don't exactly know where she's gonna hit Juno until almost the final moment when she starts going downward with the swing. Yeah, and I, it makes me wonder. Like, did she even know what she was gonna do at first? I think she did. I think she was all <laughs> about wounding her so she would be trapped down there. She and just wanted to be... make sure that she went through the knee. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so, yeah, Sarah fucks off and uh, Juno kind of prepares for the inevitable, right? Dude, um, like a like a beast, she pulls out that that uh, climbing axe from her mm -hmm. leg and is still able to stand. I'm 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 not sure how, but it's I mean, I guess adrenaline, but sure. man man with the the way those things are designed with the ridges and everything like oh just yeah imagining... that would hurt like a son of a bitch yeah i mean it looks like it hits her literally where the joint is right so i mean you're talking tendons you're talking you know uh the scapula like all that stuff is just getting wrecked and then she's pulling it back out too which is taking chunks of meat and vein and mm -hmm. yeah it's not so good not so good and uh yeah she still does it and she squares off against the approaching crawlers. And that's the last we see of her. Nom, 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 nom. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, and uh, Sarah uh, falls down a tunnel here, but finds daylight. And Real daylight this time. Yeah. Yeah. She basically climbs up a mountain of bones towards this daylight, which looks really cool. 
Oh God, yeah. Uh, she ascends. And uh, in a, one of the most brightly lit shots of this film, she bursts through the ground like a corpse rising from the grave. It is fucking awesome. <laughs> We've all seen the gif over and over again. It's great. It's one of the best shots of this film. Um, and she spends her run to the uh, trucks screaming the whole way. <laughs> I mean, I, I would too, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she's finally, I think coming to terms with all the horror she has just experienced. Uh, but she does make it back to the tracks. Um, I, I, I can't believe they left the keys on the visor. Oh, classic, right? <laughs> classic freaking. Yeah. I, I mean, you I, know, you might lose them in the cave. You, <laughs> I suppose, but I would be terrified that I'd come back up and no truck. You got to remember, though, this is like an uncharted part of the forest with an uncharted cave where nobody's supposed to be. So what are the chances that somebody's actually going to wander up there? What are the chances that another Juno is going to be like, hey, let's go check out this spot? I guess cut to a shot of one of the crawlers driving the truck down the highway. Woo! (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Okay, but she gets to the vehicle. Pulls the visor. Yes, yes. And she hauls ass out of there. And uh, I love all these exterior shots of her driving. They're fucking gorgeous. Again, it's uh, just really great camera work from other vehicles. There's a few overhead shots. They probably used a fucking helicopter to do it or something. I don't know. Yeah, so that looks so good. I imagine that's like I uh, I didn't think about it. I, we, I was talking earlier when whether or not they use stock footage or they they rented a helicopter. So they probably did all those shots at once. They rented the that helicopter for a day, and that was either one of the last things they did or one of the first things they did was just do all those shots of her driving mm-hmm. and of uh, those like sweeping trees and stuff, so they could get that all out of the way at once. Oh, it looks fantastic. And honestly does remind me a bit of some of the driving shots from dog soldiers. Um, but, uh, yeah, she makes it to the highway and pulls over to the side of the road to have a well-deserved meltdown. Um, (laughs) and she's kind of startled out. Yeah. She is startled out of her reverie by, uh, this, uh, logging truck, final destination two, driving by and blaring its horn at her because she's not completely off the road. Uh, and so she rolls down the window to vomit, you know, like you do. And when she brings her head back into the truck, she's surprised by a ghostly Juno and she screams and credits with the group photo. Damn. <laughs> and then of course oh, this film. There's the the uh theory of did she actually, you know, ever actually make it out of the cave? Yes, because there is that alternate ending where they cut from there back to her waking just, up. Yeah, waking up in the cave and she's got like her dying lights or torture or whatever, just yep. coming to the realization that this is her home now. She never made it out. Um, so I have a question. Um, yeah. There's always this idea of is someone suddenly becoming badass, suddenly becoming adjusted to the situation? Mm-hmm. Uh, is it earned? And so, for example, I love 28 Days Later. I love that movie to death. But that sequence towards the end of the movie where 
the main character takes like takes his shirt off and starts yeah, and, running around like a ninja taking out these military dudes and yeah killian and murphy just wrecking off. shop yeah. yeah um not warranted at all like no for for some people i know is it for cool a fact as hell that it, yes yes but. <laughs> But I know for a fact that it took some people out of the movie, right? Yeah. Um, because all of a sudden he was just a badass, and there was no indication that the that he had that inside of him until that moment. But you could argue that everyone has that inside of them; they just need to pass that breaking point, right? Maybe that was his, and even though he had no training or aptitude for it, he could suddenly do all of it. Do you think Sarah's kind of sudden change in demeanor, where she just all of a sudden becomes a badass is warranted in this movie because for me it's hard to say because we don't get a lot of experience with her prior to uh this you know the descent um but at the same time we know she's athletic we know mm -hmm. she's someone who ha has been in high adrenaline situations we know that she um can handle herself but you know it's it's interesting to think about the sudden switch that flips in in that one part of the movie where all of a sudden she's just maiming and wrecking these poor creatures. I, I think um it's a combination of things. It's the um her learning of Juno's betrayal uh from Beth, having to kill Beth, having to fight to survive and kill several more of these crawlers in just horrific ways fighting for her life. Also just that sort of rebirth from the pool of blood and gore. Right. Um, I think kind of all of those things sort of crystallize in this, her kind of losing her mind to a certain degree because not only does she become this badass towards the end of the film, but she's very much a broken badass. You know, she's suddenly very quiet and, you know, only speaks in, you know, just sort of action movie language of let's go, come on over here. You know, that kind of thing. Um, she doesn't even say anything to Juno when she shows her the necklace. Right. But I think that's what makes it so impactful at the same time is because Juno knows. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like for some reason for me in this movie that I, I feel like it works. It works in a way where in 28 Days Later, for for some people, it doesn't. You know, it's it's definitely an interesting uh, thing. And we see it all the time in movies, right? Where, mm -hmm. you know, that ending climax, there's just a shift in the character. Yeah. Uh, so I just I just like to, to bring it up and, and see how people feel about it. Um, so a couple things really quick. Mm. This movie had a budget of like five million dollars. Jesus, <laughs> I don't even. I did not know that. I just looked it up because I wanted to see, and that blows my mind. I mean, I can't see a movie this good being produced on a budget that small. That makes me. We were joking about more money earlier. Yeah. Um, and I realized that like none of these actresses, uh, actors in in the film, 
you know, were super huge at the time. Like I can't mm-hmm. really pick one of them out and say like at in 2005 that any of them were like big actors. Um, so that's probably part of it. And then a lot of it's the set, right? But how much, I wonder how much of the set was already built. Um, here, I actually have a thing on that too. Hang on. Oh, cool. Uh, the cave isn't real. As anyone who knows anything about caving will attest, it certainly isn't without its hazards. Trying to mount a whole film production like this inside of a real cave was a bit too daunting, so producers opted to build the cave sets instead. While the movie takes place in North Carolina, the sets were built outside of London at the legendary Pinewood Studios. Pinewood's esteemed history includes several James Bond films, Tim Burton's Batman movies, which, I mean, great Gotham set, Mm -hmm. um, the Avengers films, and many Star Wars franchise entries. The movie's exterior shots were done in Scotland. So not North Carolina at all. (laughs) Also, Um, Batman 89, also impossibly wet. Impossibly wet, for sure. Uh, But yeah, so the built for the movie. That's pretty cool. Mm. Huh. You know what? I got to say it right now before I forget. If you've made it this far into this podcast, please leave impossibly wet in the comments below. Nice. Oh God. Um that that's interesting. It's just you know, this and another film that you know I've I've talked about recently, um, just the whole incredibly tight, tiny budget seeming to be what makes the film as interesting and as good as it is. Uh it's just that whole um you know necessity being the mother of invention thing, right? Where it forces you to make choices based on that budget that ultimately are for the better in this film. You know, like we talked about, you could have had a higher budget and you could have thrown that at the uh, practical effects, uh, you know, the creature design, all of that. But for the most part, they're all in shadows and everything anyways. Right. And it it looks good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of floored. Uh, I don't know. I like, I used to think, you know, $20 million was a small budget movie. right? Right. But um, Paranormal Activity obviously changed that when it made a movie on a $10,000 budget that ended up making 100 times whatever its value was, 1,000 times. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, that's crazy. I mean, like, like we were saying earlier, this movie stands the test of time. It's super good up to today's standards. You know, we'll be able to watch this movie 20 years from now and still think about how good it looks. Yeah. And it had literally one fiftieth of the budget of like an average movie now. Yeah. It's it's shocking. <laughs> it's like I mean the average movie I feel like now is between seventy and uh hundred and fifty million dollars. Mm-hmm. And then you have marketing budget on top of that. Yeah, on top of that. Yeah. So if you're not Wild. making like three times your budget you know, in yeah, box you're, office, you're basically, you're, you're basically fucked. losing money. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Matt Damon talked about that in, in movies that he makes, you know, it's like, why don't, why don't we see the movies that we used to in theaters, the movies that you make, the movies that we grew up with. And Matt Damon clearly stated that it's because of digital streaming with, um, with the digital marketplace, people aren't out there buying DVDs. There's no second life. There's no second shelf life or at yeah, least not that's nearly true. as much as there used to be. 
so if you're not making, let's say your movie is $10 million, you know, then you have a $10 million advertising budget. So you've put $20 million into this production. If you're not making uh, $60 million, you're, you're basically coming out uh, at a loss uh, for the, for the movie. And um, yeah, cause wild. there used to be all to these films that, you know, just were, not exactly bombs uh, in their theatrical run, but close enough. And yeah, you're right. The secondary market of uh, physical media sales would, right. you know, ultimately take something that you could have said bombed and suddenly you're getting a sequel because they made enough. Yeah. And, and those movies become cult classics, mm-hmm. you know, like Rocky horror picture show is a great example of yeah. a movie that has a ridiculously huge following that didn't do well in theaters. And it's so interesting to see the market that we're in now, especially with, you know, Netflix just throwing movie money at, at things like day shift, for example, which seems like it has pretty high production values. Jamie Foxx isn't cheap. I I imagine Snoop Dogg's not cheap. Um, and the movie Dave Franco. It's got a lot of, uh, (laughs) yeah, I know I did. I I didn't, didn't include it for a reason. (laughs) um, and I, I don't know if you've seen Day Shift, but I will not scream. Yet. I will scream at the top of my lungs for everyone to go watch this movie. It's not a good movie. It's a fun oh, but it movie. looks like fun. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they actually hired contortionists for the vampires nice. so that they could uh, do a lot of the the effects practically when they were like, you know, like hitting him with a bat and having him bend fully backwards mm-hmm. or uh, something of that nature. You love seeing and, uh, that. Oh man, it is so cool. They had a, a pretty large group of contortionists for this film so that they could have a bunch of different looking uh, vampires. And um, it's a super fun movie. I recommend everyone check out Day Shift. But the point of my of my statement right. is they're just throwing money at these things and then getting, you know, $15 a month, $20 a month from an ever declining range of, of uh, people who are paying for it. And uh, it's it's such an interesting thing to think about. And then on top of that, you've got production studios who are trying to find um, where their movie is going to land. I mean, look at Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers is trying to pawn off stuff that they're making or have made on different streaming services instead of their own so that they can try and make some front loaded money back on these projects before they hit streaming services. And just crazy. The entire thing is so crazy to think about uh, the world we live in. And I'm very intrigued to see where the world of movies goes. Yeah, it's well, then you got the fucking pandemic on top of that. Right. It's just, oh, it's this ever shifting landscape. And yeah, I'm very curious to see how it all plays out. But yeah, I can't say that streaming is really helping where we're going. Uh, sure, it's nice on the consumer side of things. Is oh, absolutely. It's never ending. You have absolute decision paralysis trying to pick something on a whim. You yeah. Know? For for example, I mean, uh, we I am part of the problem. I own the Descent. I could have put it in my DVD player. What did I do instead? It was free to watch on Amazon Prime. So I loaded up Amazon Prime and watched it. If you're listening to this and you've gotten this far and you haven't seen The Descent and you feel like we sold you on it, even though we spoiled absolutely everything about the movie, you can go watch it for free on Amazon Prime right now. (laughs) Hashtag not sponsored. Yes. 
a couple other cool things about the movie classic influences in an interview with IndieWire, marshall said uh the idea to set the film in a cave came to him on a train ride and he drew upon his own trip into a cave he took at age 10 a huge fan of filmmakers like ridley scott john carpenter marshall has sp- and john carpenter uh marshall has spoken about an uh the influence of a handful of films on the look and feel of the descent there's the claustrophobic confinement of alien obviously aliens so he didn't want to throw that in this article apparently uh or in this interview the slow turn towards the madness of the shining and Hmm. the adventure gone wrong of deliverance there's a bit of the thing in play as well plus the overall hp lovecraft uh, themes of a descent into madness which you know definitely plays into it for sure uh, yeah. as we were talking about at the beginning you know the there was a lot of the 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 hearing things seeing things especially for our main character sarah um with you know seeing her daughter or uh whatever else and very interesting yeah um just straight up shots that are lifted from other things like the apocalypse now moment of um you know sarah rising out of the pool um just like uh what's his face shit um totally blanking uh martin sheen um yeah um and yeah there's so much (laughs) And I'm sure this is a film that will inspire others down the road. I mean, there there's a whole generation of filmmakers that grew up watching these films that were gushing about from the aughts that yeah. <laughs> it'll uh, be interesting. I got another another fun one for you. A, no- a nocturnal Easter egg. When Sarah falls into the discarded bones from the crawler's previous meals, there's a wolf skull. In a nod to director Neil Marshall's 2002 werewolf thriller, Dog Soldiers. There you go. I did not know. I've seen this movie many, many times, and I don't think I've ever noticed that. Yeah, there is like a wolf's head. It still has the fur and everything. Um, But yeah, yeah, it's, yep, absolutely noticed that this morning. I will have Um, to go back and check that out, because that's cool. hmm. Seeing if there's any other cool things on here before I... The original poster, the London bombings of July 2005, changed the course of the movie's marketing. Originally, posters for The Descent around England featured an image of a single woman screaming in a tunnel, with a quote declaring the film's outright terror. The film's UK distributor made new posters with all of the female cavers standing together and fighting back. Wow, I don't think I've ever seen the UK poster for this. A representative said that at the time that seemed to chime with the pre- uh, prevailing mood of defiance that was set after the weekend's bombings. Interesting. Um, and then I just the remember the, poster. the yeah the poster okay. with the uh, the ladies forming the skull uh, yeah. as like a fun callback to Silence of the Lambs with the poster where there's the moth with the skull on its back, but the skull is made from women. Right. Uh, yes, so it's actually based on a photograph of surrealist painter Salvador Dali's uh, work, which itself 
features one of Dolly's works. So it's it's like a representation of of one of his paintings. Um, and then the same female bodies as the skull was part of the posters for the art of Silence of the Lambs. Okay. So cool. Yeah. Interesting. But yeah. That's uh the descent. It was a yeah. lot of fun. Fun oh, movie hell to yeah. talk about. The- this this movie absolutely rips uh like we talked about many times over this uh you know podcast um it doesn't really let up after a certain point you know, right you you get some wonderful build-up that's a ton of fun with a ton of things that will be used as callbacks later which is always a good time um and it's doesn't overstay its welcome in any way it's like Somewhere between an hour and an hour and 45, something like that. Yeah, um, hour and 38 minutes, I believe. Okay. Yeah. Once again, that lovely sweet spot of an hour and a half horror movie. Um, yeah, not everything needs to be the director's cut of Dr. Sleep. And... Not everything needs to be the Snyder cut of the Justice League. <laughs> um, <laughs> which in uh, some way was still an improvement, but... Uh, somehow. I, oh my god! I really, I'm really sad that they they decided not to turn that into a four part miniseries um, yeah. because that would have been so much easier to digest. I uh, I still have nightmares about you know needing to go to the restroom while while watching that movie. <laughs> um, and then finding yeah. out that I was only an hour in. Uh, <laughs> oh god! <laughs> There's three um, more hours. Uh, oh yeah. Jesus. But well, Phil, I, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on Absolutely. this one. Uh, we will find something else to talk about at some point because I like talking movies with you, man. Uh, I um, appreciate that. Yeah, Phil, uh, if you'd like, where can people find you? Uh, at the moment, nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> it feels it feels like we haven't done anything with Simply Sassy for a while. But if you want to check us out, you can check out uh, Simply Sassy Vids on YouTube. Uh, I'm always available on Twitter at Phil with two L's J Woodward uh, on Twitter. And um, hopefully starting soon, uh, I'll be streaming again. uh, Philip J Woodward. We're starting with Tifu, which is a uh, version of Sifu where I have modded the main character to look like Tifa from Final Fantasy (laughs) seven. Please. And thank you. Um, Because I thought that would be fun. Uh, that will be starting hopefully sometime soon uh, this this September. Um, and uh, I'm just going to, you know, need to get back to it. Even though my office isn't set up yet, I need to get back to it. Um, yeah, man. Well, that sounds so. like a shit ton of fun. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, this has been Murders with Mertens, a horror film podcast. Thank you for letting us tickle your ear holes. Please like, share, and subscribe if you are so I will be back soon enough with another episode, but until next time, stay spooky, everyone.